You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast. We're your hosts, Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the show, my friend. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you want to help us out, please take two minutes to pause this episode and leave a quick five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All right, you rock for that. Thank you. (laughs) All right, now on to the show. Today's guest is pretty much the coolest dude on the entire planet. You're going to understand what I mean in a second. If you are an adventurer at heart, want to make money while having the freedom to travel the world, ooh, then keep listening. Today, we got to chat with the wonderful Dylan McGaster, a travel YouTuber who owns the production company Florb, sharing stories of alternative living with over 632,000 subscribers and growing. He also recently started a second YouTube channel named after himself, Dylan McGaster, where he shares more travel, lifestyle, and philosophy videos. Dylan flew to South America at the age of 21 with only $1,000 in the bank and his camera gear. He backpacked for six months, converted a van, and began creating influential short documentaries showcasing alternative living. After nearly two years in a van, Dylan decided to move to the Mediterranean in pursuit of adventure. With only seven days of sailing experience, he bought a 1979 Morgan 382 sailing boat and has since been living aboard the Aaron Rod. Currently, he sailed over 6,000 nautical miles to three different countries, and he has traveled to 27 countries thus far while sharing countless inspiring stories of alternative living. Dylan's main passions are adventure, storytelling, and sustainable living. Now he is the CEO of Florb, a successful film production company based out of Los Angeles, California. We chatted with Dylan all about how he got started traveling, how he started and grew his YouTube career, his production company Florb, and how all of that came about, what it's like living on a boat in the Mediterranean while also being a CEO of a large production company, and we even discussed how to create a life you're passionate about. There is lots of goodness to unpack in today's show. Basically, we're talking to a real-life traveling pirate businessman. He's the coolest. <laughs> Dylan is living a life that a lot of people honestly dream about attaining one day, and we hope his story inspires the heck out of you. It certainly did us. All right, let's get to it. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast with Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman, two photographers turned entrepreneurs and founders of the Heart University. If you're a creative entrepreneur or a motivated dreamer wanting to make the most of your life, this podcast is for you. Each week, Evie and Lindsay bring you actionable tools to uplevel your business and life. So if you're ready to step up to the plate and pursue your God-given potential, you're in the right place. You're ready to live your life and run your business to its fullest? Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. Dylan, welcome to the Heart and Hustle podcast. We are so excited to have you on today. Today is going to be such a fun show. I can already feel it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm very excited to be here as well. Heck yeah. All right, well, let's dive straight on in. Can you talk to us about your story and a little bit about yourself? Because you have a very unconventional life compared to most people, and it's wicked cool. So talk to us kind of about how all that came to be and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, thank you. Um, So I grew up in Kansas City originally, raised my whole life Wait, in what? Kansas City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in Olathe, Sorry. Kansas. <laughs> I'm from Kansas, so I okay. We'll talk about that later. Continue. <laughs> yeah. Which part of Kansas? Uh, I was born in McPherson. I was okay. born in McPherson and I went to KU in Lawrence. Okay, yeah, yeah. KU. Yeah, so I grew up in Olathe, which is 30 minutes from Lawrence. 
Um, anyway, so that's where I grew up ah, and, so cool. uh, yeah, did all the way through high school, started in community college, dropped out of community college and started pursuing YouTube as a career. And when I started pursuing YouTube as a career, I knew that, well, one, I wanted to make it what I did, but then also that I wanted to travel and somehow I wanted to travel long-term, but I didn't know how I wanted to do that. So I started looking into different blogs and things online with how to travel long-term and make a living while you're doing it, work remotely, digital nom nomadicism. And so um, I came across some different blogs, learned about travel hacking and credit cards and how to use those um, so that they work in your favor and you don't end up a slave to the credit card, but it uh, works for you. And so I started getting into that. And when I bought my first camera, I put that on credit so that, and then I paid it off immediately. So I got all the points for it. And then I started traveling and making YouTube videos. And I flew to South America for $17. I was able to travel hack a plane flight to Paraguay Whoa. from Kansas for 17 bucks. And, um, and then started traveling in South America for three months with a backpack. And then I flew back uh, to New York City and then um, traveled around New England for about three months with a backpack and then bought a van, converted a van, built out the van, and then lived in that for about two years and traveled uh, North America, uh, mostly the United States, a little bit of Canada, and then down into Mexico, down the Baja Peninsula, drove all the way down to Cabo. And then from there, I decided that um, I wanted to expand my living space a little bit more. That's what happened with the, with the van. I was like, okay, backpack, yeah, it's cool and all, but I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit cramped. And so I moved into a van and, and then from the van, it was like, well, I can't stand up in here. And so I'd like to expand a little bit more. So I decided I wanted to move to the Mediterranean and buy a sailboat. And so I made that decision in November. And then by uh, May 6th, I had bought my boat and I was living on it in Barcelona. And we started sailing on May 11th. And our maiden voyage was um, 111 miles to the island of Mallorca. So that was a 20, 28 hour sail, I think. And wow. um, started with that one, just, you know, just off to the races. And then for the past two years, I've been sailing around the Mediterranean, um, living on a sailboat and spending some time on land um, where it's called for mainly during the winter. And then, uh, the, I mean, the whole pandemic situation. But yeah, that's that's the real condensed version of my story. Wow. Dang. I, I have so many questions based off of that. I I love the fact that you had the idea in November to be like, oh, hey, I want to sail or I want to buy a sailboat and go to the Mediterranean. And then literally within like six months, you made it happen. That's mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was definitely like a bit um, apprehensive about that. But I I don't know when when the idea spawned. But I know it was November that I'd like made the decision. And so what I did was I just started telling people like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the Mediterranean and sail. And it was like, I have no sailing experience. Um, and people were just like, okay. Um, but I I'd figured if I just told enough people, then that would force me to do it because I didn't want to, you know, like back out on what I'd said I was going to do. And it worked. <laughs> That's so amazing. I've definitely heard like a lot of, a lot of big like entrepreneurs or leaders or whatever talk about 
tell as many people as you can of your like craziest ideas because it makes it more real. So I love that like you did that and you were like, well, I'm going to basically lock myself into this commitment and like tell everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you got to be a little bit careful with that because if you're, yeah, um, if, if you just do that with everything, but you don't follow through on stuff, then you become this person that's known for just big talk and you, and you become yep. that to yourself, right? Like if you say you're going to do a bunch of stuff and you don't follow through, then it, when you say something ridiculous that you're like, yeah, this is my goal, you don't actually believe it yourself. So like, if you're going to use that method, you have to be like pretty particular with how you use it and not, uh, and, and actually complete it. Like you can't back out because if yeah. you back out, you've kind of destroyed the whole method. Yeah. You've destroyed yeah. your, your integrity and your reliability and your word. Yeah, exactly. Not only to others, but to yourself. I freaking love that. Could not agree more. Yeah. And in your word to yourself, I mean, it's like the most important because if you can't, I mean, if yeah. you can't trust yourself, then yeah. I mean, you're not in a good spot. So it's so good. Amen. <laughs> okay. Well, Dylan, you, you started your travels. It sounds like from a, like, did you tra start your travels with the intention to YouTube it or was it just like a love for travel and then it turned into, okay, I want to make money traveling. Um, and then I guess my second part to that question is, when and how did your travels turn into the birth of your production company, Florb? Mm -hmm. So when when I started YouTube, that was also in a November, um, uh, what, like six years ago now, something like that, I was working in a country club in the kitchen. I was training to become a chef. I was in a chef's apprenticeship program at Johnson County Community College. And I had decided that I was not really interested anymore in working in a commercial kitchen. I love cooking, but not in that environment. And I learned that people were making careers off of YouTube. I don't know how I came across it, but I learned that and I was like, that's what I want to do. That is the path for me that will allow the most amount of flexibility and freedom to be able to create the life that I would like to live. And so it was just like, that's what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's what I'm going to do. So I bought a camera and I started, I went through multiple different channels, right? Like I did really bad comedy sketch videos in the beginning and like challenge videos and like all the <laughs> stuff that's like old school YouTube of, yeah, just like humiliating yourself on camera <laughs> type of thing. And so <laughs> did that for a while and um, switched from that to a few different things. And then um, I knew that I always wanted to travel. I didn't know why. I did a, a bit of traveling growing up. Um, nothing like too insane. Only crossed the ocean at one time um, to go to Holland. Uh, for I actually turned 11 in Holland. Um, my mother and my sister and I went there. Um, and other than that, it was all just kind of like local travel around America, you know, down to Texas, to Florida, um, to Colorado. And um, so it in a, in a couple cruises here and there, um, a Disney cruise and a carnival cruise. And so I knew that I wanted to travel in, in, but I wasn't making money yet with YouTube. And so I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to start traveling, I'd already been travel hacking, If I'm going to start traveling and I'm going to be making YouTube content, like what can I make? Like there's, it, it pretty much limits the style of content you can make if you're in the midst of traveling. And so I just Googled like travel YouTubers and um, it popped up with like Fun for Louie and Ben Brown and um, a few other people from back in the day um, who were, you know, like the OG travel YouTubers. And I, and I saw their stuff and I was like, okay, if they can do it, I can probably figure this out. 
Um, and so flew to South America, started making all this travel content. Um, and turns out it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And I ended up shifting away from making the travel content when I was in New England. And I started filming these short documentaries on alternative styles of living. Um, first one I filmed was a uh, cabin and then a tree house. Um, and then uh, a guy that built his tiny house when he was like 18, he was in his teens. And that was um, the very like initial birth of Florb. Although Florb didn't have a name yet, it, it, but that was like the the start of that style of content that has led to the production company of Florb, which means it's a contraction of two words, floating earth or floating orb, um, because we live on a floating orb and that's crazy. And <laughs> nobody really talks about the fact that we're like floating <laughs> in space, um, <laughs> circling another floating orb of nuclear explosions that gives us life. Um, but, but that's, that's where we live. And so that's where that floor comes from. It's a contraction of those two words. And so was working on that for um, about another five months before it started to become like semi-profitable. And then it was uh, another, what, year and a half before it like became an actual company. And um, yeah, like did all the paperwork and whatnot to make it a legitimate company. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, well, Dylan, let's kind of dive into YouTube then specifically and talk about what you've created. So what's the focus of most of your videos? I feel like you kind of already answered that, but mm -hmm. let's let's talk about that a little bit more. Like, are they mostly personal videos, travel vlogs, or are you doing, you know, those collaborations and projects with other companies mm -hmm. for videos as well? Like, kind of talk to us about what kind of content you're creating right now. Right. So. Um, at the moment, Florb is responsible for two kinds of content, mainly. We, run, we operate two YouTube channels. One is Florb, which is F-L-O-R-B, and then the other one is Dylan McGaster. So it's self-titled. It's a self-brand. And under Florb, we make short documentaries on alternative styles of living. So we feature tiny houses, van dwellings, uh, tree houses, anything that is like not the traditional dwelling unit we are interested in. And then we also um, are slowly expanding into other types of um, eco projects. Like we did a we did a feature on this place called Eden Project in Cornwall, England, which is so cool. It's um, they basically built these two big biodomes where they uh, they they took an old um, clay mining pit. So it was like completely barren. Um, and, and they can, they built a rainforest in it basically, um, which is just what? so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was like one of my favorite projects I've ever filmed. Um, uh, yeah, that oh place is so gosh. cool. <laughs> I, I, so, have to, I have to go watch that video now. Like what? Yeah. I know. Same. <laughs> yeah. If you search, um, floor rainforest, it'll probably pop up, um, on Dang. YouTube. And, um, so yeah, we've been expanding into more interesting eco projects as well. Um, but, but yeah, mainly it's short documentaries, um, which are generally some sort of tour of something, right? So like if we're featuring somebody that converted a van, then in the video, we have a tour of the vehicle. If somebody built a tiny house, we have a tour of the tiny house with Eden project. We did a tour of the whole site. 
Um, and so that's Floor. We make short documentaries. And then on Dylan McGaster, we make, um, I don't know if you'd call them documentaries or like memoirs or, or like diary entries or something like that, but they're um, short videos. Like all the videos that we make are normally between 10 and 15 minutes. Um, we make videos on um, travel and philosophy and life, right? So like um, it, on Floor, we've experimented with a few different like travel series while I was in the van and then also on the boat. And we ended up deciding that was it, it was a better idea just to make a separate channel to separate the two styles of content so that the viewers can get exactly what they want, right? Like if they want to see tiny houses mm -hmm. and um, vans, they can subscribe to Floor. Um, but if if they're also want to see the travel and philosophy and stuff, then they subscribe to Dylan McGaster. But, you know, sometimes people want to see um, a tiny house and they don't want to see traveling or vice versa. Um, and so yeah. we we make these um, short videos that, um, to me, really encompass like what it means to travel in that like it's what you would expect and want to get out of travel. It's not just like we went from point A to point B and this is what happened. It's like we went from point A to point B. This is the adventure. And then this is like the philosophy and the lesson that I learned from it and kind of how it changed me as a person. Um, so, so it's a bit more, oh. um, in depth into like the actual experience of travel rather than just like a, um, documentation of what physically happened. Wow. That's so cool because I feel like that's, I think you're giving people multiple reasons to watch your, watch <laughs> your video. Like yeah. obviously they can see the, the cool shots of, of a country that like, you know, the tra typical travel type of videos, but then right. I love that you're linking that life lesson and philosophy lesson with it. I think that's so cool. And it gives it just more dimension also. Yeah, I agree. We had kind of felt that um, without that, to me, the videos felt like empty and to to a point yeah. to where I was like, why am I making these if it's not like it didn't feel to me like there was substance behind it. And so we 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 experimented with a few different things and then kind of landed on how we're making them now. And we're still, you know, experimenting and expanding. Like we haven't like set in stone or anything. So um, it's all a creative process. And the channel also acts as a place where um, we can experiment as artists and, and try things that, you know, create a video that we just want to make and then um, see what the viewers think of it, right? Opposed to um, Florb is a bit more structured and, um, you know, it's not a place where we can just like, you know, chuck an artistic piece up because it's it's so different to everything that's on that channel. But on Dylan McGaster, um, it's kind of a place that we've created for that exploration, that creative artistic exploration. That's so cool. I love that. <laughs> Thank Man. you. Okay. So diving in a little bit more like to YouTube, how did you go about growing your channel? Um, cause you are a rock star at it, but do you have any tips for our listeners who either already have a YouTube channel or are looking to start one? Right. So, um, when it comes to building a YouTube channel, we're in the process of building our second one at the moment. And I mean, it's hard. It's really difficult. Um, don't let anybody tell you that it's easy. You'll see people that just like pop out of the ether and like within a month, they have a million subscribers and it's just unbelievable like you're just like how does that even happen <laughs> they they just hit like some cosmic energy wave or something that just like shot them through the moon so but for everybody else that doesn't end up on like a mega wave um it's normally some type of slow growth slow burn and 
ideally you'll end up in an exponential situation where it, it starts to speed up and grow faster and faster and faster, but sometimes it doesn't. And so if you're trying to grow a channel, the main thing is you need to be committed to it. And like, you need to know that this is what you're doing and you're going to get it to X, whatever X is for you. And in order to do that, you have to be very honest with yourself and the content that you're making, right? Like the thing with being a creator is you spend so much time, right? Like you put so much energy and time and effort into something that you make, right? So it's, there's so much value in it to your, to you because you've put all that effort into it, but you have to be really honest and objective about what is the value that you are providing to the viewer? Because if you are not providing them with value, then there's no reason that they should watch it because what mm-hmm. you're, you know, what we're all trying to get on YouTube is people's attention, right? Like that's the currency of YouTube is attention. And so you have to understand that people's attention is incredibly valuable, right? Like to be able to take however many people and hold their attention for however many minutes, it's like, so to give you an example, like on, on floor, this is something that's kind of crazy. It's the channel has basically lived longer than I have and I will ever live. Like if you look at just the minutes that some of the pieces, some of the videos have on on YouTube, right? Like some of these videos have hundreds of years worth of minutes watched, right? So that's crazy because yeah. you're like, wow, that video has already outlived me and beyond me. And so if in yeah. order to do that, it has to actually be providing value to people because like the last thing you want to do is waste all of that time, right? Like a hundred right. years of individuals' times, like that there needs to be something coming from that. And so you have to be really honest with yourself. And like, this is the question that I always go back to, what value am I providing the viewer? And you have to figure that out for yourself. Is it like some sort of you know, instructional value? Is it entertainment value? Is it philosophical value, artistic value? Like there's so many different dimensions of value, but you, you have to, you have to like be really critical and harsh of yourself to determine whether or not that's actually there. Yeah. And that also, I mean, I feel is not only impacts your viewers and therefore your growth, you know, the interest of people, are you adding value to their life? But I think it also, I mean, affects you as a creator because you know what you're doing is valuable and, mm. you know, life impacting, life changing, you know, in whatever way that it, it encourages you and inspires you to, mm-hmm. to continue to create. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. The thing with working online though is that there is a bit of a disconnect because um i don't know about youtube but for me like numbers are not motivating to me like to just look at Mm -hmm. the numbers and the stats it's does nothing for me um but when somebody comes up to me and is like hey man i saw your video and like this is what happened this is how that that to me is motivating um but So so with YouTube, there's like that disconnect, right? Because you can see that in the comments, but that's, it's just comments. It's just like, you know, text coming out of the ether. It doesn't, it doesn't connect with our, uh, our, our biology, our primal biology. And so you have to like, 
figure out how to manage that, right? Like to know that, okay, X number of people are watching this and they are enjoying it and they are deriving value from it, but that's only showing up to me as numbers on a screen. Um, and so you have to be able to like understand that and like reprocess that in your mind. Um, cause otherwise you get used to, you know, you start seeing one set of numbers over and over again. And then that number now doesn't mean anything anymore because you've just seen it too much. Right. And so then it's not until, yeah. you know, five turns into 10 that it's like exciting again. Um, and so yeah. the knowing that you're providing value for people is, is very motivating, but on YouTube, there can be a bit of a disconnect. And I think that's just working online in general because it's all digital. Yeah. I think what you're talking about is kind of just like the disassociation with even like we're mostly on Instagram. Um, and I mean, but and no matter what social media, like as you're growing in follower subscriber count, you're always looking at a number and then you get used to it, like you just said, and then you're always reaching mm -hmm. for the next one. But I think for me and like Evie, I know my favorite thing to do is in-person events because I, like at mm. our workshops, I can talk to students and people that are learning from me and, and people that have followed us for years. And they, we, we actually get to hear their stories and like how yeah. our education is impacting their lives. And so I love that you said that, like keeping it at the core of like remembering your why and remembering why you're doing what you're doing, which honestly even links back to you, you, what you said earlier about making your channel, having a deeper meaning versus just like fun travel videos. Mm -hmm. Um, so I love like, just like thinking about that at a deeper level and just at a more meaningful level, I guess. Yeah. Trying to break that almost that, you know, technique, like technology wall that can be between you and the audience, the viewers, the, you know, the community that you're building in any way that you can and trying to connect with them beyond, you know, a typed comment or whatever, just seeking that you know, connection that inspires you as a creator and also keeps your ear to the heartbeat of your community and what they're needing and wanting and how you can continue to show up and serve them and add value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it is, like I said before, it is all about adding value. And so you, yeah, you need to learn how to adapt, right? Like that kind of goes with the being really honest with yourself and then like knowing how it is that you are serving these people, because if if you're not adapting to the current situation and you're not willing to adapt, then then it's not going to grow because if I mean yeah. it's life, you have to adapt. If it doesn't adapt, then it dies, um, and and that's the same online. And so yeah, you have to be like responsive in understanding of like what's going on in your space, in your niche, with your people, and um, how how it is that yeah you can contribute to that. I definitely agree with that. That's so good. Well, okay, let's talk maybe a little bit more on the technical side. Can you kind of talk to us about your back end of your process? Do you edit all of your videos by yourself? Do you have a large team? Like, how do you balance such an unconventional and like free spirited type of lifestyle while also running your like Florb, your production company? Yeah. So I'll lead with it's really hard. Um, but I've been like getting better <laughs> at it as I've done it more. When it first started, it was just me. It was just me for the first multiple years. Um, it was just me basically until I got onto a sailboat. And um, I, well, before that, I had like some managers and agencies that I would work with occasionally, um, or not occasionally that I did work with. Um, but but before before being on the boat, I didn't actually have like a team that was in the 
content creating business, so to say. Um, and so yeah. now there's um, three of us that work full time with the company. And then we have some other independent contractors that we work with here and there. Um, and we're in the process still of expanding and growing. So we're looking to bring on our fourth member here really soon. Um, so I don't edit everything at the moment and I don't shoot everything at the moment. So our independent contractors will do filming and whatnot. And then between me and Jackson is most of the editing. And then we've done experimenting with um, independent contractors who also edit. Um, and then we've got um, Citara, who does a lot of the um, managerial type of um, logistics of actually running a business. Um, and then, you know, I do filming and editing as well. Um, so it's a lot of work for the three of us, for sure. But we've we manage it. And um, like I said, we're looking to expand as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's, that's so the back end at the moment. Like the way we do it practically is like we take trips and then we do a lot of filming and then we come back. Um, wherever we are and then we kind of do a lot of editing and then kind of go back and forth and when it comes to the Dylan McGaster the travel stuff that's kind of film as we go type of situation that's so cool I'm just imagining you like in the middle of the ocean like trying to edit a video like in a sailboat I'm like that seems so complicated (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah we try to do most of our editing on anchor um not underway but sometimes you got to do it underway and uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) Does Instagram scare the heck out of you? Feeling like you're always struggling to save time on the good old gram while also creating flawless branded professional content for it? We feel you. We have made a special little something just for you. We created a PDF with our top five apps we use in conjunction with Instagram to create smooth professional content while saving us time and energy. This is a list compiled after years of using Instagram and searching for all the secret pro tools to make our jobs easier. If you've ever wondered, how the heck did she do this? Or how did she make that? It's probably answered by one of these apps. There are little secret sauce to spicing up your Instagram. We use these apps daily and they've absolutely changed the game for us. So if you're ready to uplevel your Instagram and create pro content with just a few clicks, we got you. Head on over to www.theheartuniversity.com apps and let's uplevel that Instagame. That's A-P-P-S, y'all. Hey, Heart fam, we had to interrupt this episode real quick to share with you something that's revolutionized our workflow. Everyone always asks Evie and I what the number one investment is that we've made in our businesses. Without a doubt, the best investment we've ever made to get our life and time back is HoneyBook, a client relations management software. We both use HoneyBook every single day and legit could not live without it. It's an all-in-one project management tool that's designed specifically for creative entrepreneurs. I honestly don't know what I would do without HoneyBook. It streamlines everything. Email conversations, client workflow, contracts, invoicing, calendar integration. HoneyBook literally coordinates everything for my business. They thought of everything that a creative entrepreneur could need and combined it all in one place. From templates, brand customization, an app so that you can send invoices while you're on the go, all the way to the little ka-ching sound your phone makes every time you get paid, aka my favorite part, (laughs) HoneyBook gives you the ability to streamline an excellent client experience from your fingertips so you no longer have to spend 24-7 working in your business and you can finally get back to living your life instead. Guys, we know you're going to love HoneyBook just as much as we do. In addition to a free seven-day trial, we have an exclusive offer just for our podcast listeners. 50% off your first year of HoneyBook. Guys, that's a $200 value. 
All you have to do is go to share.honeybook.com slash heart and claim your discount. That's share.honeybook.com slash heart. Or you can check out the link in our show notes. That's so cool. Okay, I I have a very, very random question, Dylan. When you first were transitioning from van life to like boat life, mm-hmm. did you struggle with like seasickness at all or like like what was that transition like? Because that's such a large like jump from land to sea. <laughs> yeah. The first sail um, that we did from from Barcelona to Mallorca, um, all of us were seasick. Uh, I threw up and I've thrown <laughs> up on what, three or four different sails maybe? Two or three? I don't know exactly yeah, how yeah. many, but not very many. Um, I don't get seasick a whole lot anymore. I feel like you just kind of get used to it, right? Like you... Yeah. Yeah. Your, your body adapts. And so typically what happens is like, if I'm on land for longer than a week, then the first sail, um, is probably not going to be super comfortable. And then from there on, it's fine. Um, and yeah, so like ideally, like the first sale that I do coming back, it's like not a wicked rough sale. Otherwise, that ends up being not not fun. But um, yeah, yeah. You, you you adapt to it, and you um, yeah, you get used to it, and you get less seasick as you go. Um, but everybody's different, and some people are more prone to motion sickness than others. But um, yeah, man, yeah. that's wild. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> okay, real quick, last kind of YouTube centric question. For those that don't know YouTube just as a platform, mm-hmm. how can you give us just kind of a quick general overview of how you can make money from YouTube? Like how to yeah, go no about problem. that? Right. So there's multiple different ways you can make money on YouTube. The one that people uh, like everybody participates in on YouTube is YouTube monetization. And so that's built into the platform. You hit a button whenever you upload it um, saying that your content is uh, um uh, safe for monetization. And then, um, that's all built into the platform. So YouTube pays you based on ad impressions and they, they source all of the advertisers and that's like the pre-roll ads that you get, um, and the banner ads and all that kind of stuff that's built into the platform. And then there's multiple other ways to make money on YouTube. Um, one is Patreon. One is um, selling merchandise, selling an actual product of some sort or a service, ebook, whatever, selling something. Um, another one is working with brands uh, independently, right? So if I uh, talk to a brand and we come to some sort of deal, and so then I will do advertisements for them on the channel, and that'll be built into the actual video versus um, like the five second pre-roll ad, um, an ad that I would do, for example, for like Squarespace, um, I would put actually bake that into the video and film stuff and then, and, and edit that in. And so those are the kind of the main ways, right? Like it's either some form of advertising, crowdsourcing or selling something. Um, and those are, those are the main ways or affiliates, which are still also selling something. Awesome. So good. I feel like it's actually very similar to kind of influencer or like, like it's very similar, like affiliates, just partnerships like that. Um, but I love that you can actually 
it, there's, I feel like, an incentive to actually make money on YouTube when, like, by subscribers, since you do get paid from the platform itself as well, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. For the getting paid by, on the platform, it's all about like the views that you get, um, because all they mm-hmm. can, all YouTube right. cares about is ad impressions, right? Um, that's what they're basing right. everything on is like how many people can I serve this advertisement to? Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of the same way that you make money on any any way on the internet. It's either some form of advertising. Um, selling a product or service or crowdfunding. So cool. I've, I feel like there's so many opportunities on YouTube. It's a lot of work, but I mean, I feel like this is the same with Instagram or just about any platform online right now. Like it's a lot of work, but it's so, it's so cool to see in our day and age that those opportunities do exist to like, you know, you're traveling the world, living on a boat and earning money from, you know, a platform like that. I love it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's the uh, it's the modern day gold rush for sure. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, well, speaking of kind of doing what you're passionate about, uh, it seems like you have been able to merge so many of your passions into your current lifestyle and into your current business. So, can you just kind of talk to us about how it, it was? It just really natural that it all kind of flowed together. You just trying what you liked and what you didn't. Was it? a bit more strategic and you knew, okay, if I, you know, X, Y, and Z will equal, you know, this formula or whatever. And with that, do you kind of have any advice for our listeners when it comes to following their passions and doing what they love, even if it's a little unconventional? Yeah. When I landed on the short documentaries on alt living, um, I landed on that kind of out of happenstance with the situation I was in, but I, I also landed on that because when I was in high school, I was obsessed with tiny houses. Just on YouTube, that was just kind of all I watched, and that was when Kirsten Dirksen was like the only person putting out uh, videos on alt living. And so when it came to making those short documentaries, it was like, wow, I really like this whole concept at, of not living in standardized housing, but then also um, I. I loved filming and editing it. It was just a really fun process for me, really engaging. And then when it comes to living in a van, that was more so out of necessity than it was out of like desire to live in a van, right? It was like, I want to keep traveling, but I don't want to live in a backpack. And so I'm broke. And so I need a van. That was like (laughs) how that kind of came about. Um, And and with the boat, it was like, yeah, I I want more space. I still want to travel, but I also want more adventure. And so, because it's like, if I want more space, I could just go up to a bus, but I was like, a boat sounds way more fun. Um, and so that's kind of how I went with that. But now, like the way I look at how I build my life is um, I look at it in terms of skill acquisition of what are the skills that I want to be equipped with for my life. Um, and I, I think about that like very specifically with like, as a career, like what would be valuable? And then also practically, like what would it be really great to know how to do? And um, and so that's kind of how I look at it is like, okay, I want to learn scuba diving. Why? Because it's a valuable skill. Why is it valuable? Because um, underwater cin- cinematography is an incredibly niche skill set. Um, and if I can get really good at it, then that's like super valuable. And there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, like that's an example of that, but that kind of goes with every skill that I go to learn. Um, and so when it comes to living a life that you're passionate about or pursuing your passions, it's, you, you got to figure out it's, you got to have some sort of strategy, right? Like you, you, you're not just going to get there 
by just running around, right? Like you got to know where you want to go. You need to develop some sort of plan. And so for me, that plan was I'm going to build a YouTube company because that's going to allow me the freedom and allow me the adaptability to create this life that I want to live. And so you need to figure out like, how is it that you're going to be able to provide the freedom for yourself for whatever it is that you want to do. Do you need to start a side hustle? Do you need to quit your job? Do you need to pick up a hobby? Do you need to move? Like, what is it that you need to do? What would provide you? What's the proper strategy? And then once you figure that out, then it's just about executing it and then doing that in a realistic time frame, right? Like, don't think that's going to happen overnight because it's not. Everything takes time and everything is really difficult. And so you once you have your strategy planned, then you just start working towards it. And when you make progress towards it, you'll feel positive emotions, right? Like you'll feel good um, because it's really exciting to see progress. And, and, and so that's kind of yeah. how it is. Like develop the strategy, figure out a system in which it's going to get you there if you do it. And then as you move towards that, um, be very honest and objective with the progress that you're making. If it's what, you, what you're expecting, what you're not expecting, better than you're expecting, or uh, not as much as you're expecting. And then how to um, adjust the plan as you're moving to mm-hmm. make sure that you're going to get where you need mm-hmm. to go. I love, I love that, that you... Yeah, I love that you talked about strategy and plan because I think a lot of people, when they hear the phrase like, oh, do what you're passionate about or follow your passions. They only think about that. And it's, you almost have to apply the skill and practicality of like, can I actually make money doing this? Am I actually skilled at this? Can I become skilled at this? And actually thinking about about it in a strategic way. Um, so I love that you touched on that because I think a lot of times people could have like a dream to be a singer or, or well, mm. that's just the first thing that popped in my head. But like you could have a dream to be a singer, but if you suck at singing, <laughs> that might not happen for you. Or you might have to get really, really good at singing before that even becomes even a possibility of a reality. And so I love just the strategic thinking behind that. Cause I think yeah. so many people don't think about following your passion strategically. Right. I love the quote from, uh, I think it's Seneca. Um, that is luck is when, um, opportunity meets preparation. I really like that because if you're not prepared, then it doesn't matter what's coming your way, right? Like it's not like, yeah, I mean, anybody that's lucky, the only reason they're lucky is because they seized an opportunity. It's, it's, you know, it's very rare that something amazing just falls in somebody's lap and they didn't have to do anything for it. Um, There's normally a whole lot of preparation um, and that that always happens behind the scenes, and people don't see that. They only see the success. But even if you only see the success, you have to like be honest and be like, okay, how much how much is this person putting into it right now? Right? Like if you look at some people that like blow up on the internet or whatever, it's like, wow, they've got you know this amazing personality, and they're just like pumping out content and all these different things that you're like, well, they're they're really seizing that opportunity that they've been presented with. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. Luck, luck is when uh, opportunity meets preparation. That's so Love good. That. I read a book that very much agrees and like is along that philosophy. It's called The Click Moment. Um, mm. And it just talks about how how so much success is honestly random. And 
the first half of the book is basically just detailing based on all these studies, all these super successful business owners and corporations and companies and all this stuff, how so much of their success was honestly just random chance and just an opportunity that they acted on. And then the second half of the book is how we can set ourselves up for success by basically preparing for those random opportunities and seizing them when they come. So it's literally exactly mm-hmm. along the lines of that quote. I just never heard that quote. And now I freaking love it because I could not agree more. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. I mean, if you think about it, like, um, you know, uh, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or any of those guys that like yep. started off in the dot-com boom, like Mm-hmm. timing. I mean, they had an amazing yep. timing. It's yeah. like, if it wasn't for that timing, they wouldn't be who they are today. But also it wasn't just the timing. It, it was so much more yeah. than that. Um, yep. so you have to like, yeah, figure out, okay, how, how is it that I work with timing? And to me, I, I think that if you're in harmony psychologically with existence, then that's going to flow together and you're going to, um, you're 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 going to find the the proper timing for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good. Okay. Well, Dylan, I it, we would not be able to do this show without asking you this question because <laughs> just from your Instagram and YouTube, we can tell that you have a ton of fun and you probably get into a lot of travel mischief or just mischief in general. Um, so, fun <laughs> question: Do you have any crazy or funny stories from traveling so much? You probably have a million, but if you could think of like a, the best one. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, stuff happens all the time. Um, another, I I love quotes by the way. So I am always chucking out different quotes, but another quote that I like is, uh, the adventure begins when the first thing goes wrong. And so, I mean, that's, that's how it works. Like, um, on the boat stuff breaks and you're in the middle of sailing or, you know, you're in a new place and something happens. Um, and, and you just have to adapt with that. But yeah, I mean, like <laughs> my friend Jacob, who I grew up with, um, he, he, him and I got into a lot of mischief growing up. And he's always been, in my mind, crazier than I am in, in that he'll like, he's he's less risk averse, I think. And so he'll, um, <laughs> like, for example, one time we were in San Diego and we saw this, ca- we were in Sunset Cliffs in San Diego we saw this cave and we went to go check out this cave and we we're like, ah, oh, bummer. There's a body of water in between us and this cave. And he was like, yo, you want to swim? And we're in like, you know, gym shorts and like a t-shirt and we've got our phones and every wallets and everything on us. Um, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we let, you know, take everything off, set, set it to the side, jump in, swim across the body of water, get to the cave, go explore the cave, come back. And I was like, you know, Jacob, that's why I love you, man. Like there's not very many people. Most people would be like, I guess we're not looking at that cave. <laughs> and he was like, no, no, we're going yeah. swimming. Like, that's what we're doing. We're going swimming. Um, and so, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I really like about him. And, um, I, I don't, I don't know if it's him that taught me that or, or what, but that's, that's like a way that I, I look at life is, and maybe it's just why we, him and I get along so well of like, we see something and it's like, okay, how, how are we going to do that then? Like, if we want to do it, we're going to do it. It's not, it's not a question of like, if, or if we're going to do it, it's how we're going to do it. Um, and so, I mean, I love that. Like <laughs> would, after our first sale. We, we arrive in Mallorca and we're on anchor, right? So the sailboat is on anchor. Everything's sound and secure. And we put our dinghy in the water, our, our small boat to ferry, ferry us to shore. 
And so the, the dinghy's in the water, and now we need to put the outboard engine on the dinghy. So the engine that's specific to the small boat. And as we're in the process of doing that, we've, we've got it tied to a rope, we're picking it up, we're putting it down onto the dinghy, a ferry comes by, and so this wake comes in. And as this wake <gasps> hits us, um, the dinghy goes up, which then like lifts the outboard up, and then the dinghy goes down, the outboard up goes, the outboard goes up and then over and then down into the water. And um, no. and then it's at the bottom <laughs> of the bay and it's like, you know, 15 feet, five meters. Um, and this is like our third day on the sailboat uh, <laughs> out, oh, <no. laughs> out sailing. And it's like, well, I guess, I guess I'm going swimming. Like, <laughs> I guess that's what we got to do now. It's like, I got to go figure out how to get that. And this is before I knew how to free dive before. I mean, I knew how to scuba dive, but I didn't have scuba gear. And so 15 feet, like if you don't know how to dive and you just know how to swim on the surface is actually really deep. Um, and so I jump in the water, it's April or no, it's May. And so the water's still really cold. Um, and so now I'm in the water. I barely know how to swim basically. I've, I've thought about that. Like I look back on like where I was in the beginning versus where I am now because I'm very comfortable in the water, not like as comfortable as some people I know, but I'm very comfortable in the water. And so I look back then and it's like, oh, I, I basically didn't know how to swim. I mean, I could tread water and I could like <laughs> swim, you know, 500 feet or something, but um, yeah, I couldn't swim. And so like I had to do like five or six different dives and like I could dive for like 15 seconds before freaking out. Um, it had to, yeah, finally was able to dive down, get a rope, just wrapped around it enough and then like get back to the surface. And I, I think watching the video footage, it's like a grand total of 20 seconds that I'm underwater. Um, but I get to the surface and I'm like, all right, I got it. Okay, let's go. Let's get, get this thing up. And like, now if that happened, it'd be like, I would dive down. I would like tie everything around the motor. I'd like chill at the bottom, look around, see how things are going. Like, and then come back to the surface, get it. It would be so much more relaxed. But at that moment, it was like really intense because I just didn't have any of the skills. And so it was way beyond um, my skill set. But yeah, that's that's one of the first things that comes to mind. But yeah, it, it was a question of like, <laughs> how are we going to get this? How are we going to get this engine back? Because uh, we need it. <laughs> That's I so amazing. That. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. Free diving is, is hard. And I no think a joke. lot of people, like <laughs> people don't realize it until you actually try to like go down as deep as you can. And you like realize just how challenging it can be without training. Yeah. Yeah. The training is necessary. I mean, that was, yeah. there's a few things, most things I'm self-taught in, in the skills that I have, but both scuba diving and free diving, I got like classically trained i guess you know i was trained by a professional um and there's good reason behind that because you're in an environment that wants to kill you um yeah but if you have that (laughs) that training for free diving it is it's it's one of my favorite things ever i mean when you're under the water and you're holding your breath everything is so peaceful and and the the difference between being underwater for 15 seconds and panicking the whole time versus being under the water for maybe just one minute but not panicking at all, it 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 changes it to an experience. I mean, it it changes the experience so much that it's it's hard to even imagine it's the same thing. Um, when my dad was yeah. out, he he visited me in Greece, and um, we taught him how to free dive. And so he was only you know doing breath holds for like thirty seconds or something like that. But even in thirty seconds, 
you can you can go down, look at something. You know, if you can dive down to ten feet, you will go into a shipwreck. And so he's like, he could dive down to the shipwreck, look at it for twenty seconds, and then come back up. And when you're underwater, um, it's actually a good amount of time to check things out. And and I, yeah, I just love the sport so much. The whole goal is to be peaceful because you're trying to keep your heart rate as low as possible. I love it. Oh man. Now I want to go get trained in free diving. <laughs> I know. I can literally only hold my breath for like three seconds. It's awful. And I live in Hawaii, so it's just it's shameful. <laughs> well, if you if you do some training, you'll be able to you'll be able to hold it for over a minute for sure. I mean, it's built into all of okay. us. We have the it's in our biology. It's it's the uh the mammalian dive reflex. It's you know, if, if you submerge your face in cold water, um, your heart rate imme- immediately starts to slow down um, and your body starts to conserve oxygen. So, yeah, there's a whole theory behind it in that, um, you know, wow. like we're aquatic man- mammals or at least, you know, evolved alongside the water, did hunting in the water. But we have the same our body does the same thing that um, seals and dolphins and all aquatic mammals do when they go underwater. That's so cool. So cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, humans are pretty dope. <laughs> I'm stoked. To yeah, be we are. <laughs> no, that's so cool. Yeah. Okay, well, Dylan, we always ask our guests this question. So what is the biggest lesson you've learned in business? And then we'd also love to kind of hear the question or you answer the question. What also is the biggest lesson you've learned from your travels? So kind of like a mm-hmm. two-folder there. Um, biggest lesson in business would probably be probably something along the lines of delegation and um, learning how to let go. Uh, And let's see, maybe it's called, there's a term for it, competitive advantage. Maybe that's the term I'm looking for, Mm -hmm. right? So where even if me doing something you know, with within my team, even if me doing it, it's going, going to result in the best job that doesn't necessarily mean that I should be doing it um, because there's yes. you have to like figure out how, how what is your time worth and then what should you actually be focusing on and then that whole concept of competitive advantage is counterintuitive but it's really helpful and with that you have you have to learn how to delegate and so you have to learn how to let go of some of the things that you hold on to and that you would micromanage or maybe that um, that you want to be perfectionistic about, right? You have to let go of some of that and allow there to be some flaws because, you know, if I make something, there's going to be flaws in it anyway. Um, it's it's yeah. never going to be perfect, but it's, <laughs> this is something I've realized, like, if you have somebody work on your house, right, or build something for you and you see a flaw in it, it, for some reason, it's a lot more offensive than if you made something and there was a flaw in it. Um, and I don't know yeah. exactly why that is, but it's true. And at least in my experience and everybody I've talked to. Yeah. And so you have to figure <laughs> out like how to deal with that when it comes to whatever it is, the part of your business that you're working on. So yeah, learning how to delegate is very important. And if you're wanting to do anything large um, and substantial, then you're going to need a team and if you're going to need a team, then you're going to have to uh, direct that team and show them where to go and uh, make sure they get there. And if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to delegate some of your responsibilities because you're not going to be able to do everything that you have been doing while still managing a team. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, that's Amen. A, it's a lot to learn. But yeah, and then from travel, <laughs> biggest lesson I've learned from travel 
it would probably be slow down. Um, growing up, mm. for some reason, I've always felt as if I was behind in life. I don't know why I felt that. I don't know if that's just exposure to the internet or what, but I've always felt like, you know, like get after it. Like there's things that need to be done. And it's true. You should get after it. And there are things that need to be done and you need to be motivated and you need to be productive, but you shouldn't rush. Rushing is not good. Rushing leads to mistakes yeah. and rushing leads to, I mean, unhappiness. Like if you're rushing through life, you're not going to enjoy it. But then also, if you're rushing through life, you're going to make unnecessary mistakes. And so just from a pragmatic view, um, it's important to slow down so that you can get everything done properly. This is another quote that I heard from Jocko Willink. He said, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm, that's good. So good. Oh, freaking love it. <laughs> okay, well, Dylan, thank you for giving us your hour or this hour I am obsessed with you and I know our listeners will be too. Uh, I just love how unconventional, free-spirited and just also how incredible of a businessman you are, like just like yeah. twofold. Um, so for anyone who is now obsessed with you that's listened to this hour-long episode and just hearing your wisdom and your lifestyle, where can everyone find you? Your YouTube, just everywhere that they can find you, drop all your information. Where yeah, can they find you? Absolutely. So if you just go to YouTube and type into the search bar, Dylan McGaster, so D-Y-L-A-N-M-A-G-A-S-T-E-R, um, both the YouTube channels will pop up. Both Florb and Dylan McGaster will pop up. You can subscribe to those. If you're interested in alt living, subscribe to Florb. If you're interested in travel and philosophy and this new channel that we started, subscribe to Dylan McGaster or just subscribe to both. Um, so go to YouTube, search Dylan McGaster, <laughs> and both of those will pop up. And then if you're interested, you can fo also follow me on Instagram, which is Dylan McGaster. Oh, I love it. Your profile picture is like the coolest like pirate looking. <laughs> I just love <laughs> Thank you. You're so cool. <laughs> All right. Well, Dylan, thank you. thank you so, so, so much for all of the information that you dropped today, your story, and just sharing so much of your journey and what you've learned along the way. This is so inspirational and helpful and educational. So I'm so excited to see what people have taken away from this episode and how they begin to implement it in their lives and in their businesses. So thank you for giving us so much of your time and information today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. 